Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yardena Azband, our daf of the day, Masachet Ketubot, Daf Samech Dalid, page 64. So I want to pick up, actually, of course, I want to pick up on the previous daf because we were talking about um, Mordot, right? Um, even Mordim, rebellion, rebellers, rebels, um, people who are married and rebel against their spouse. So we have here a story about the daughter-in-law of Rav Zavid, Kalte de Rav Zavid Imrida. So she rebelled against her husband, right? Meaning this is Rav Zvid's son is her husband. Um, so what happened? She was holding a particular garment in her hands and our Maymar and Marzutra and Rav Ashi were sitting there and Rav Gamda was sitting with them. And what did they say? Um, sorry. That the person who is a moredit, somebody, a woman who rebels, forfeits her right to her clothing, meaning the clothing that she already had had that even had belonged to her, that she brought into the marriage with them, right? As if they still exist, right? Such that they are. She has forfeited her right to them by virtue of being a moredit that she, it's essentially she's losing her rights to anything that she had had the right to. Sorry. So what happens? Rav Gamda says to them, one second, Rav Zvid is a great man. So are you really going to go to him and like try to like make nice to him because of this halacha? Like um, Hanifa is flattery, right? Vahama Rav Kahana, didn't Rav Kahana say me, bye, bye, Rava, velo Pashid. Rava, you know, raised a question about this, this particular question about the clothing, and it was never solved, meaning maybe Amoretta does not actually lose the rights to her original clothing, the clothing that had been her worn clothing. So there's there's another girsa, and this is one of those like really fascinating things that can happen in the Gemara. It's not very comforting that we can have a, what's called an ikada amre, right? Uh, it literally translates to mean there are those who say, but there are those who say would provide it, it kind of introduces another version of the same text that we just had. And the new version in this case is that she doesn't lose her worn garment. She might lose everything else, but not that, the things that she came into the marriage with. And then likewise, it goes on to say, Amar Luhu Rav Gamda, Mishum Rav Zvid, Gavarabahu, so do you want he says do you want to say because Rav Zvid was a great man and does that mean that because he was humble and he was pious he's not going to mess with this so then like why would you twist this ruling against him like it's don't be don't be unfair in that way meaning it it really is a completely opposite reading with all the same component parts and it's one of those tricky things of having an oral tradition that was oral and you know singularly so for a very long time before it was written down. And again, there's the same question about Rava uh, from Rav Kahana that Rava had this dilemma and didn't have an answer to it. So what happens? The Gemara says, you know, at the end of the day, there's no conclusion here, right? Sometimes the Gemara says, whatever, the halacha is, thus and such. And in this case, the Gemara points out that the Gemara doesn't conclude anything here, which of course I think is, a, again, we'll say, it's an indication of the many voices of the different generations on the daf, right? To say, 
um, the Gemara didn't. The Gemara didn't say anything. Okay, okay, but we're in the Gemara, right? Tafsa v'lo mafkinan mina v'lo tafsa lo yavinan la. So the Gemara can. So our passage here says, you know, we don't take it away from her, but if she didn't take it, we don't give it to her. Meaning, when she is, I don't know what, getting leaving the household as a moredit, if she took her stuff with her, nobody's coming after her to take it back from her. But on the other hand, nobody's gonna make sure she can come pick it up. Otherwise, the Gemara goes on. Also, So we make, the Gemara says, we delay her divorce for 12 months of the year. Meaning she's not allowed to get, according to this, right? I, I, this is not a matter of psakalacha. This is the way the Gemara is handling this case of the Moredit, that once she has become a Moredit, her, she is not entitled to her divorce for 12 months. Um, so she's got 12 months where she doesn't get any mizonot, and she also doesn't get the get to be able to really go free. So again, this is a kind of thing where, listen, it's a very clear punishment for her status as a moredit. Um, and the idea that, you know, from what if we're going to add to this, we're going to combine what we see here with what we saw yesterday, then what that means is that any um, anybody who's deemed a moredit, meaning that they that they issue a decision that she is a moredit, then she's going to have her ketubah di- diminished by at the very least, no, at the most, right? Seven dinar per month times 12. So that's 60 dinar. So again, she's either going to only get a, a ketubah of 140 dinar or 40 dinar. Um, fine. I, I say fine. I don't know how fine this is, meaning I don't know what to think really about the moredit at this point. Um, I think there's a lot more that we want to think about it, but also, you know, in terms of just how the Gemara treats it. The Gemara goes on here, Yudan, I'm going to turn it over to you in a moment, but the Gemara goes on here to say um, exactly that the court gets involved, right? And the court writes this letter about, this is a, a case of a, of a betrothed woman, not a married woman, and it's interesting to see that there could be such a thing as a Moredit for somebody who's only betrothed. And later the Gemara goes on to talk about a, a woman who is a Moredit and in her status as a Yevama, right? Meaning, and I would say, well, why don't they just do Khalita and move on, right? What's what's the problem here? But fine. Amar of Tuvi Barkisna, Amar of Shmuel, Kodvin Igeret married al Arusa, Ba'in Kodvin Igeret married al Shomerit Yavam. So that's what it says, right? You, you write this thing that says you are a Moredit to a betrothed woman. But normally, under you know, without the exceptional case, you don't do it for the widow who's waiting for the avam. And then the Gemara says, one second, meitve, we've got a bright that says, achat filu nida, filu chola, filu yavam. We have a case where you would indeed, you know, call any of these people. Let's just go through clearly who they are: the betrothed woman, the married woman, the uh, menstrual woman who's waiting, a sick woman. And the person who's waiting for the avam. So the Gemara answers, Lo kashya kan shetavahu kan shetavahi tavahi. Right? Meaning the question is, who is who is the refuser here? Who is the re- rebel? Right? Who is the person who doesn't want to be involved? In you know, if the case is that he doesn't want to be involved, Damar Rav Tachlifa Bar Avime Amar Shmuel Tavahu, right? She wants to get married, and he refuses. So if he refuses, then the court goes to him, and 
you know, might in fact give her, one second, if he asks then to say that she should be the rebellious woman, then then the court might indeed re- respond to that, right? And she could get that status. But if she asks, meaning, no, let's get married, right? Then the court does not respond to her and does not add it to the to the to the ketuba. So, as I said, there's there's much about the morid of the moridit that I would like to learn more about that we're not going to do right now on the daf. Um, there's obviously more learn read through these cases and you'll you know take home a lot more than we've just now discussed. Um, it's I want to just note that this is something that is a court mandated status. You can't just like curse your wife out or your husband out and say. You're a Morid, you're a Morid. You could say it all you want, but the status doesn't take hold with ramifications, you know, monetary and legal ramifications until the court is party to the whole thing. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think this is an example that shows sort of like the power of the Beitzin, a power that we don't necessarily have today, certainly in the diaspora. Maybe we do have it more in Israel, although there are multiple Beitzin that a person could go to. But I, I think it shows you like the power of the court, like these things were really uh, hashed out or adjudicated within a court system itself. And again, right. It's like you said, it's not just something that you like sort of said and then that status came. It had to go through a process where the court had to agree with you that the wife was a Moretta. Like you can't just declare it yourself. Right. Exactly. All right, I'm going to move on to a rather lengthy Mishnah, uh, which goes to, um, you know, when we say that, you know, a wife has to be fed, right? What does this exactly mean? So let's say somebody feeds his wife by somebody who's a third party, like who's a trustee. So the husband, oh. right, it may be some commentators claim maybe is not living with her. But in other words, he, he outsources the person who supports her. So I think the reason why the mission is set up this way is because I think the assumption is, is that if she's in the house with the husband, right, she has access to whatever food is there. But here, if somebody has to sort of like deliver or give her the parnasa because she's not in the house with the husband itself, what's the minimal amount that she needs to have, right? You can't give her less than two cobs of wheat or four carbs of barley a week. Amar Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi says, Lo pasakla shorin ela Rabbi Yishmael, right? Rabbi Yossi said, only Rabbi Yishmael, okay, Shayat Samuch Ladom, who lived near Edom, would allow barley, okay? Because the idea is, is barley is inferior to wheat. Um, he also has to give her half a cob of legumes, half a log of, of oil, the kav groats, o mana and a kav of dried figs or the weight of a mana of fig cake. So there's a variety of foods that she has to be provided for. And if he doesn't have these fruits, he has to give her some kind of other fruit from elsewhere. So I like how it's sort of like she needs to get all the major Tanaitic or, you know, uh, Talmudic food groups, right? Oil, wine, uh, grain and fruit. It's interesting that meat, like protein, doesn't seem to be in here. Now, I guess the question is, you know, legumes. Can... Legumes are protein. Yeah, legumes are protein. Okay, that's fair. Okay, and what else? Benotain la mita. He has to give her a bed. Mapat umechatzelat. Right, a soft mat. Right, and a hard mat. Benotain la kipal roshah. 
and he needs to give her a cap for her head. This will get into much more discussion about later when it comes to issues of Kisui Roche, women covering their hair, and a belt for her waist, and new shoes from festival to festival. So basically she's entitled to new shoes at every festival. We can, I'll skip all the jokes we can make about that. And he has to give her new garments, the value of 50 dinar from year to year. And he doesn't give her new clothes, right, which tend to be more worn and thick in the summer because they're going to be too hot, nor worn clothes in the rainy season because they're too thin and she'll be cold. Rather, he should give her clothes of the value of 50 dinar in the rainy season. And she covers herself with these worn garments in the summer as well. So in other words, the clothing allowance is once a year. And any leftover worn-out clothing, they continue to belong to her. He also had to give her a ma'ab for the rest of her needs, a, a silver ma'ab for the rest of her needs. And she eats with him from Shabbat evening to Shabbat evening. So in other words, even if he wants to give her her food by a third party, right? On Shabbat evening, she actually is supposed to eat with him. Let's say he doesn't give her the silver ma'a, then her earnings belong to her, okay? And what's the fixed amount that she has to earn for him? She has to spin wool in the weight of five sela for threads of warp in Yehuda, right? Shehain eser selim bagilgal which is the equivalent to 10 sela in the Galil. Oh, Mishkal Eser Selahim Arab Yehuda, or in Judea, right? She, uh, uh, there's woof, okay, which I guess is a different type of thread. That's the English for it. Um, uh, so she can have 20 sela of that in, uh, uh, sorry, 10 sela of that in Yehuda. She in a stream Selahim Bagilga, which is 20 cells in, in the Galil. Again, it's interesting to see that, like, it wasn't one uniform economy. Right, let's say she's nursing, so it understands. Right, this is this is Mishnaic uh, maternity leave. Then it's reduced from her earnings. Okay, it's not fair. It's not full maternity leave. She gets a reduction in her earnings. Right, but we add to her sustenance. What is this statement amount? This is with the poorest of Jews. So again, I have no sense, and I wonder if somebody. I actually tried to find this. If somebody did like what the modern day equivalent is of what you actually needed per week, I was not able to find that. If somebody can calculate that out, that would be awesome. But obviously for a prominent person, you should, you know, provide your wife the way that she uh, is allowed to be provided for. So the very, very interesting mission. I, again, I think it's interesting how it's set up sort of not like what he provides her, but what a third party third party has to provide her. Because I think the idea is that if he's not living with her, this is sort of the bare minimum. And I think the assumption is that if he was living with her, obviously he would provide more. The Gemara starts out with the discussion of who opinion is this Mishnah. Um, and But I want to skip down a little bit where it says after it, it discussed a variety of opinions about uh, when it got into a, a discussion uh, about, well, okay, I guess I'll do a little bit early. It says, Rabbi Yochanan ben Broca says, okay, Kikar lokeach 
Bifun de Young, right? The food for two meals. This is, was talking before about it, whether or not he could have, the Mishnah could agree with him, is the size of a loaf bought with a Fun de Young, which is a 48th of a Sela. May Arba Si'in La Sela. When four wheat are sold for a Sela. Okay, so that's how much that loaf should be worth. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Rabbi Shimon says, Okay, so sorry. So according to Rabbi Yochan Ben Broca, one quarter of a cob is what you need for a single meal. Rabbi Shimon says, uh, food for two meals is is two of three parts of a loaf. Okay, uh, when he says Michelo Kikaro Lakav, when three loaves are prepared from a cob of wheat. So according to Rabbi Shimon, one ninth of a cob of wheat is sufficient for a meal. Now I don't, I didn't write out this math, but that's just what you need to know. One is an eighth of a cob, and one is, sorry, one is a quarter of a cob for a single meal, and one is a ninth of a cob of meat for a meal. Those are the two different opinions here. Then the Gemara makes a very, very interesting observation. Once they went through the size of a loaf that's considered to be a meal, it says the following, chetia, half of this loaf, lebayit ha right? Um, the, the Mishnah states that half of this loaf is the amount called a half, right, which is the, the equivalent for the halachot of a leprous house, okay? What do we mean? That if somebody enters a house, we've learned this halacha before, right, that has leprosy, how long do you have to stay in that house for you to become tame? And it's enough to eat this amount of food. And the clothes that he's wearing, the clothes that he wears become tame, okay? So it's this amount. It's chetzi, a half of this loaf, lebeta minugav, Okay? And half of this half, a quarter of a loaf of this size, whether you're going to uh, either the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan ben Broca or according to the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, half of this, right, leaves sol etagibia, right, is, so that's one quarter of the loaf, is the amount of ritually impure food that renders the body unfit. In other words, impure food, food of this amount can give <coughs> tuma to the body of the eater and disqualifies him, the Rabbanan, from eating truma. And then finally, half of that half. So, okay, so an eighth of the loaf, right, is the minimum amount of food, where you can get ritual, tuma can actually go to the food itself. So it's just interesting to see sort of like the parallels, like we're taking this loaf of bread that a woman is obligated to be given uh, as an equivalent to a meal, we understand that it has different, um, you know, uh, measurements according to two different Tanayim. But whatever you feel that loaf is, that loaf becomes an important measurement for areas of Tuma and Tara. So it's just a fascinating parallel halacha that comes in here. The Torah so is like all halacha is basically like all intertwined with each other. I'm just liking that you got the math for the change. Oh, I don't, I didn't get the math of the Tanayim part, but I got the math. Of the no, no, maybe. you got the, you, Myra of the math, which usually you bequeath to me. So. That is true. I did do it. I did actually do it this time. <laughs> that is true. And Shkoyach to you. It's really, I, I find the most difficult thing about measurements like this is the fact that, you know, I think that most of us don't have an intuitive sense of what's a kav as compared to any other kinds of, you know, volume measurements. Whereas, if we could kind of imprint ourselves with those measurements the same way we know 
depending on where you're located, right? Do you have do you have cups in mind? Do you have leaders in mind? Whatever. Then you then it kind of all would fall into place. But um, but I'm not there. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, I I agree with you, and I think it's like it's it's a word problem. So if you're not good at word problems, this is 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 difficult. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Ringus reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Revenue Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hodgman website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.